Hello, and welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 56. Today, Brian and I are having a discussion about the Holy Spirit. As part of the Trinity, we discuss who the Holy Spirit is, the work of the Holy Spirit, and I ask Brian a few questions about how we should interact with the Holy Spirit and when a person receives the Holy Spirit. This is a bit longer of an episode for just Brian and I, but there's a lot of good stuff in this episode, so hang in there. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can find us at thebiblebistro.com, on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible Bistro. You can watch us on YouTube as well at Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you are watching us there, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. We've also set up a Patreon account. So if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support our continued work, you can do that. You can find a link for that in the show notes, but also by going to the website, thebiblebistro.com and clicking on the link at the top. If you can't financially support us, you could also support the Bistro by simply sharing the podcast with others or leaving us a review on Apple Podcast. That helps us as well. All right, let's jump right into our conversation discussing the Holy Spirit. Hey, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. Hey, Brian, how's it going? It's going all right. It's going good. all right. How was your Easter? It was good. Easter's always good, you know. It's a good, uh, it's the <laughs> highlight of the Christian year, right? So it was busy. Yeah. It's always busy. You know, you've heard the old, uh, uh, oh, the old revival preacher that that did the sermon, the famous sermon. Uh, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. Have you have you heard that? Oh yeah, yeah. It's oh, really, yeah. Like, yeah. If you haven't heard it, go on YouTube. It's fantastic. Really good sermon. But on a uh, a uh, preachers group uh, uh, that I'm a part of, somebody somebody wrote, uh, "It's Sunday, but Monday's coming." Every preacher will understand this. So all I'll say is it's very busy leading up to Easter. Uh, the church that I'm a part of uh, in, in Mennonite circles, Monday Thursday has always been a big time of celebration. So you get Monday Thursday service. Sometimes you get Good Friday service, you know, Sunday Easter service. Always a big crowd. We did sunrise service. We had breakfast before Whoa. the service. You know, so it was a big, big deal. But you yeah, were so serviced it's, out. It, it, it's exciting, but it's, uh, yeah, it is. It, it's a, it, it's a, tiring time. So I do usually take some time off after Easter. So it's, it's, uh, be taking a little bit of time next week to, to, uh, uh, de-easterfy, chill out a little bit. No, not de-easterfy. Your, I want to keep the peeps. resurrection a part, a part of my eat, everyday eat, life. Get all the peeps that you collected during the well, Easter hunt. Yeah. So do how you about you? Peeps? Did you have a good Easter? You and your family? We did. Yeah, okay. I did. Uh, I went to a good Friday service. Okay. Um, and then we actually went to church on a Saturday night. Oh, did you? So they did a Saturday night, which is, you know, that's not, it's not the right day. You know, it's got to <laughs> right. be a Sunday. So, uh, but I was actually, it was, I had a really interesting, um, so I was cooking a brisket for Oh, nice. Easter. Smoking a brisket? Smoking a brisket. I will say for the, for our listeners, I have sampled at various times, Mr. Sarver's smoked brisket and it is good stuff. Yes. It, so it, I made it, a smoked brisket. It is two thumbs up from the Brian oh. half of Ryan and Brian's Bible Beast. There you go. And so I had to get up super early, though, because it okay. was it. Uh, so I put it on like at 11 o'clock at night and you have to wrap it and right. get it in this this paper. And so I was up before, you know, I, I remember growing up, we had a sunrise service yeah. and so forth. And it was kind of an interesting time for me because it was the sun was just coming up. I was up at 5 a.m. and then I got up at 6 a.m. Oh, good. And on, on my left hand side was a full moon. 
Oh, and on yeah, the right, it was beautiful. the sun yeah. was starting to come up. And yeah. it was just, it was an interesting, like reflecting like this, the, the night is going and here comes the sun yeah. on, uh, that's awesome. on, yeah, yeah not it that, was, so it was cool. Not that you worship the celestial bodies, but no, uh, no, no, <laughs> Brian, it's, no, it's, I, just, it was, I was giving you a hard time. So. Yeah, you were. Anyway, and then I listened, reminisced some about my childhood as I listened oh, to some cool. Larnell Harris and Sandy yeah. Patty singing. I've, some, I've done my own Jesus. sunrise service before on Easter because, you know, I, let's be honest, our sunrise service was at 8.30. The sun was well up in the sky by that time. So. <laughs> Jesus is like strolling down the street at that point. Right. At this point, he's like, you know, he's already taking his afternoon Come nap, on, guys. Like, what's going the, on? The uh, Anyway, the, the uh, yeah, so... I have done that before where I've gotten up early to watch the sunrise and I was up early enough to see what you're talking about, the moon and, and the sun in the sky. It was a uh, clear sky at that point anyway in the day. So, yeah. Yeah. So it, it was good. It was good. It was a well, good Easter. I, I hope all of our listeners had a, had a nice Easter as well. Good, good Easter. Yes. And this is, so this is our first episode after our last episode. Of course, it's the first episode of the last episode. What am I saying? So we celebrated one year in the bistro. Yeah. We, you know, we did a push for um, for some patrons to we say did. like, hey, you know, if you're enjoying yeah. this. And so we've got some patrons. Yeah. We won't. We, we're not going to dox them and tell everybody their information. But we had Mick <laughs> and Cheryl that have yeah. joined us. Thank you very much. And they're going to get them. And, yeah. Yeah, they 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 signed up at a level. They actually get our Bible Bistro mug, which yeah. Now you can confirm this, Ryan. Those are collectible, right? They're absolutely collectible. That's what I heard. I heard they were collect- collectible. I hold on to them, and in a couple generations, <laughs> those things are going to mature like a if if the Lord US carries. Bond. So yeah, <laughs> yes. So yes, and then we and then we had someone else that you yeah, know we talked we about had, different uh, groups. Uh, yeah, uh, using the. A podcast, Sunday school, Sunday school church that, or Sunday school uh, class uh, from uh, Zohar Christian Church in Southern Indiana that's sending us a donation. So we're thankful for that. So uh, yeah. just very, very thankful uh, that people yeah, are responding absolutely. to our to our plea for uh, some. <laughs> Well, help it, us eat. I, no, I will say it's 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 uh, especially for you. You've you've put a lot of time and effort into it, and it's it's not without cost. The hosting and all this kind of stuff. So I appreciate uh, Ryan the sacrifices you've made, and I hope that uh, we can uh, have some support to keep this going. So absolutely. Well, moving on from all this, we've bantered quite a bit here. <laughs> yeah, so more than I normal. So more than fast, normal. Fast forward. Fast forward. Yeah, you can just skip all of this. I think. Anyway, um, so yeah, so let's talk about. I thought coming after Easter, yeah, you know, and then after Easter is usually Pentecost. Yeah. Now, Brian, how many days after Easter? Fifty is Pentecost. Good. I'm glad you learned from the last. <laughs> last seven time we weeks had that in a day. So. Seven weeks. Oh yeah, yeah. Forty nine fifty. Anyway, so talking about Pentecost and when the Holy yeah. Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit sure. is showing up, and I said, I thought. What if we have a conversation about the Holy Spirit? Well, and I, I was think thinking is, when you mentioned ahead. that, I thought it was a great, great idea because you know we have talked about the other two persons of the Trinity. We've talked about God the Father, and we've talked about the Trinity, and we've also talked about uh, Jesus. And so I think it's it's appropriate that we do talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, yeah. So. Uh, Let's start this conversation. Like, explain, you know, I don't know. Where do we start with this? Because I, well, I think this is one of the things that's kind of, uh, yeah. and I'm going to say this, I'm going to project a little bit. Okay. But I think for some folks, it's kind of, it's a little murky. Like, how do we talk about right, the Holy Spirit? Right. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. So, 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 you know, even we've kind of proven this, that we, you and I both come from a tradition where the, the Holy Spirit kind of gets the, 
the back seat, so to speak, that, right. that there's not as much discussion of the Holy Spirit as there is of God the Father or of Jesus Christ. And and uh, so, you know, hopefully um, our discussion of the Holy Spirit is not just an afterthought. The other thing is, I, I was thinking about this, it's, it's a difficult topic or difficult doctrine to talk about um, just because of there, there's some, I don't even know if controversial is the right idea, but there are there are different people who have different views of the Holy Spirit, different uh, church groups that have different views of the role of the Holy Spirit and so forth. Um, and I think one of the things I, that, that makes the Holy Spirit most difficult to talk about, and, and I think one of the biggest errors that I hear uh, in our doctrine of the Holy Spirit is the way that people will refer to the Holy Spirit in in impersonal ways. Uh, so, for example, I hear mm. the pronoun "it" a lot, and 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 I'll be honest, I'm I sometimes uh, will do this myself, but uh, almost as though. Um, the Holy Spirit is not a person, and uh, so that we, we think about the Holy Spirit in an impersonal way sometimes. And I think maybe the reason for that is we kind of, if I say to you, Jesus, you, you kind of get an image or a picture in your mind, right? And mm-hmm. and we know that Jesus took on flesh, and he walked uh, among us as one of us, as a human being, uh, fully human. And so we, we can imagine or we can picture what what uh, you know, a human being looks like, and and I was thinking about this too. When I say God the Father, I'm mm-hmm. sure you you can have an image of God the Father in your mind. Now, when I think about that, though, it sometimes makes me wonder how how good we are at, at that. How much has the culture influenced? You know, I, 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 for me, it would be like I the Simpsons have this kind of image of God, the father is this really big <laughs> human being, you know, with a white flowing beard sitting on a throne. And, uh, I think usually they only depict like his, you know, feet or whatever, you know, he's, he's this huge yes. human being, almost like Zeus really, in some ways. Uh, you know, so I wonder about how, how accurate is our image of, of God, the father. Um, but anyway, we do have a, have an image, but if I say to you, the Holy spirit, uh, you know, we don't necessarily get that same kind of a concrete image in our mind. And so I think that sometimes makes us think about the Holy Spirit differently uh, than we do the Father uh, and the Son. So I think we don't have as clear of an image of the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you agree with that, Ryan? Or what, yeah, what do you think? I, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, sometimes it's called the Holy Ghost. You know what I mean? Like right. different denominations yeah. might call it the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And it's just, we get this idea that it's just this almost like a vapor floating around us. Right. Impersonal. So and I just said it. I just said it. Yeah, I know. It's and it's floating around. That's, and that's what I'm wrong. Saying. We fall into that. And I think it shows some of our error in our thinking. And, I, and again, I'll put myself mm-hmm. in that category. I wasn't going to mention this, but since you mentioned Holy Ghost, I'll <laughs> tell you this. Uh oh. That this used to be uh, so what we use the word ghost for. Uh, are kind of these supernatural beings that we sometimes understand either to be departed human beings or whatever. Uh, we use the word spirit different than that. But in the past, those two were flipped uh, in English at some point in English. So if you go back to, uh, for example, Christmas Carol, it will talk about the spirit, right? It's not the ghost of Christmas past in the original, it's the spirit. Uh, and so they used to use the word spirits for what we would call ghost and ghost for what we now refer to as spirit. Okay. Uh, and, you know, the German Geist is still, uh, that's where ghost comes from, the old English uh, through, Poltergeist. The, through, through the German, right? So so that yes. that idea still still is in there, Geist. But anyway, I wasn't going to say that. Now I wish I wouldn't have. But <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So it's inter- you know what's really interesting mm. is in in the Gospel of John is probably the biggest example of this is is uh, of course Greek is a gendered language. Uh, you know, I like to talk about language every once in a while, but uh, it is yeah. a gendered language. So it it has three genders. It there is. Um, uh, masculine, feminine, and then a neutered gender. And, and these don't necessarily always align uh, with what we think of as gender or, or we're confused about these days about as gender. But um, uh, linguistically, the word for spirit in Greek is, is, a, is a neuter uh, word. And yet in the Gospel of John, John intentionally, it seems, uses the uh, masculine pronoun for for the spirit. And again, that's, mm. I think, getting across that idea that, that the spirit is a person of the, of the Trinity. And, and I think that, again, I think that's probably the biggest error we make in relationship to the spirit is thinking of the spirit as a force rather than, than a person. And yet we and, see, go ahead. What were and, you saying? And, and, and that kind of goes against that thing you're talking about, that we, we get this idea of the Holy Spirit is impersonal to us that right. like, you think maybe John's trying to drive home this point that it is I, I think so. Personal. Yeah, and there's another way. So look at John 16. This is one example of this as well, uh, verses 12 through 15. This is a word some of you may have heard before, the word uh, paraclete. In, in Greek, it's parakletos, but we sometimes will just transliterate it into English as paraclete. Have you ever heard, uh, Ryan, have you ever heard the Holy Spirit referred to as as paraclete? I, I have. So yes. this is this is a word paraclete. Cleat uh, comes from two two Greek words. Para means to come alongside or to to be alongside, and and uh, kaleo comes with this idea of being called alongside. So it has the image or the idea of a counselor or a helper. Uh, so sometimes you'll see this uh, translated this way in uh, in our. Uh, modern translations. Uh, so this this word paraclete, but let me go ahead and just, I'll, I'll read this uh, a little bit. 16, starting about verse 12, it says, I have much more to say to you. This is Jesus, by the way, speaking uh, in the upper room, what we call the upper room discourse in the gospel of John. So this is the night of his arrest that he's talking to his disciples. He says, I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak. You hear the masculine pronouns there. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that you receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to my father is mine. That is why I say the spirit will receive from me what he will make known uh, to you. Uh, And and so the, the interesting thing is, and this isn't where this. I was thinking this is where he he said this, but um, Jesus says that there is another Paraclete who is coming. Um, Jesus is called Paraclete in First John chapter two, uh, but then he refers to. He says, "I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you as orphans, uh, but another comforter, another counselor is coming. Another helper is coming." And so, when you use that kind of an idea, another of the same kind is the idea um, that that uh, Jesus is a paraclete and the spirit comes as another paraclete of the same kind. Uh, so uh, he is um, analogous, uh, you know, uh, to, to Jesus, the, the person of the Holy Spirit, in the same way we think of the person of Jesus. It's just more difficult. Uh, I think okay. one of the reasons the Holy Spirit, when we picture the Holy Spirit, uh, he is often... Um, we often use these images, these symbols, to refer to the spirit. Can you think of any symbols, Ryan, that uh, are used? Uh, to... The flame of fire. The sure. fire. 
Uh-huh. And that, Just like in Pentecost. Right. That's what I was going to say. These are biblical images. These are biblical symbols. It's not that these are bad symbols. Uh, the dove, sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, if you remember, it talks about it. But Jesus' baptism, the spirit descended in the form of, or like a dove. Uh, mm-hmm. Descends is probably the reference there. Uh, this, the the tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost. Of course, Pentecost is very closely associated with the Spirit. We'll get into some of what's going on there a little bit later. But uh, but these symbols sometimes I think uh, wine sometimes we see used as a symbol again make us think we don't think of a person right we think of a, of a symbol. Uh, mm-hmm. And so all these uh, are, are reasons for that. But the the spirit, if we read the scriptures, has personal characteristics. Uh, for example, we see him talked talked about as knowing things or having a mind. Uh, for example, um, Paul talks about who knows the mind of a person except the spirit that is within them. In the same way, no one knows the mind of God except the spirit of God. And so this idea that, that he knows the mind of God, important too, because we find divine characteristics. Well, I, may, I may say more about that, that the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, is fully divine uh, as well. And we can make a mistake if we think of somehow the, the Holy Spirit is inferior within, within the Trinity in, in some ways. Here, let me read this. This is chapter 14 of Gospel of John 25. This is, okay. this is more what I was thinking about earlier, and it helps in talking about this as well. Uh, Jesus says, all this I've spoken while with you, but the, and, and in this translation, this is the 2011 NIV, it says the advocate, uh, the one who will speak on behalf of the advocate. Uh, well, and I'll say some more about this another time, maybe. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So again, you see that the Holy Spirit is kind of picking up on the things that that Jesus has done. Uh, but, but this idea that uh, he is able to teach, that he has uh, intelligence, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is said to have a will, uh, for for example, we'll look at this a little bit later at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It talks about that he gives gifts, what we call the spiritual gifts. He The Spirit gives them as he determines or as he wills. Uh, so he has a will. This is one of the kind of the, the mysteries of the Trinity. And we see this even with Jesus, where Jesus uh, says to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. Both the Father and the Son seem to have wills, and I would, it seems the Spirit does as well. So we, you know, the mystery is what is the connection between, let's say, the will of, of God uh, as Trinity and what is the will uh, of the persons of the Trinity uh, separately. Mm. Um, he is also said to have emotion. For example, we see the Spirit... Uh, we, um, Talking about Paul talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, uh, so it seems that the the Spirit can experience emotion in the same way that we would understand a person to uh, that he's able to take action. Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and look look at Romans. Do you have your Bible there? Uh, handy, I have Ryan? my I, digital. Okay, Bible look at here. Romans eight twenty six and twenty seven. And I know I know for our listeners, we're going through a lot of scripture here. It might be good for us to list this uh, on our show notes if you want to go back and read yeah. some of these. But uh, uh, you know, when you're talking about a, a theological topic like this, a lot of times you have to kind of look look at various places in in scripture. Will mostly be in the New Testament, although there's a couple of Old Testament passages I want to look at today. Uh, Romans eight twenty six and twenty seven. If you've got that, Ryan. Yeah. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who search... 
Well, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind, mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So we see the Spirit taking action here. And the cool thing is, the reason I like this passage, it talks about the way that the Spirit acts on our behalf. At times, we don't know what to pray. Uh, the Spirit intercedes for us. So you think about an intercession as he, he takes our... Paul there calls them wordless groanings. You know, he, he takes these things we can't even express to the throne, to the Father, and and uh, essentially intercedes on our behalf. A similar kind of role that, that Jesus has as an intercessor between ourselves and the Father. Um, the Spirit speaks on our behalf, and and it's it's, it's kind of cool when we see that the, the you know the action of the Spirit. I mentioned earlier that he he does have divine attributes as well. Uh, we see him connected with creation. Uh, in Genesis 1, the spirit hovers over the face of the deep, it says. So there seems to be uh, involvement in, in the act of creation, which I always say is kind of the definition of God. God is the is the uncreated creator, to put it in, in Greek philosophical terms. But he, he, he's the one who, who created all things. Uh, Jesus mm-hmm. is referred to in this way. And then the spirit is also... Uh, uncreated creator, I would say, uh, that the spirit is also eternal. Uh, Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew writer refers to the spirit as the eternal spirit. Uh, so all these are divine attributes. As he is all-knowing. He knows the mind of God, as we saw earlier in 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, you know, different different things that we see that show uh, that he is fully divine, but again, not impersonal, but a, but a person. Does that lead you to yeah. any questions or any thoughts? Yeah, on, no, on I, you know, I like see, you know, I like drawing these connections that he that yeah. he is a person. Yeah, you know, he is a right. person, and it's um, as Jesus says, like continuing his work. Like there is right. a there's a very specific task, and which kind of leads me to the next thing I think we're going to talk about here. But okay. um, that he is personal, you know, and uh-huh. that he is involved in all. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's always the hard thing. Is just like you, we create these images, yeah. and you know, Jesus is easy. When I say easy, right. we it's not easy. Well, he's, but, he's a human being, and and, and this yeah. is the thing: we're used to, when we think of persons, we often think of persons as equivalent to the hum, human beings, because that's the, that's the, right. That's, that's the most of what we're familiar with in terms of persons, right? Yeah, well, most it's like persons. How, it's we, like it's how you're talking about the Simpsons and God. It's just a really big human, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like it's right. This, we we right. we shove everything in the same direction, yeah. and then like when we talk, and I think that's yeah. just even the word spirit, the way that it's we perceive it in right. our minds is like disembodied, yep. like it's a floating exactly. a floating force out there. So, and I think that's uh, again, I think that's a mistake of our thought, not of 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 in touch with reality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the way that we think about these things. And that's, so we talked about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things that makes it very, very difficult for us to think about and, and talk about the Holy Spirit, I think, is this this kind of in seemingly otherness. And yet we see all these similarities and Jesus even saying that, that, that there is this relationship between he and the Spirit in terms of uh, how they act in, in the life of the believer. Yeah, and I think the only thing that I mean, I know you brought it up as a mystery is to think about the different wills 
of the members sure. of the Trinity. Like that there right. is God's will is God right. as Trinity, and then the individual wills yeah. that that go in there and how those all. <laughs> and I will say so we, I, that's we, my question, but yeah, we've you, been taking no answer. we've been taking a task. I will say, you know, one of the one of the criticisms we've gotten is is because we are Trinitarian, and there, you know, there are <laughs> oh, those, yeah, there are those who are not. But we had uh, a YouTube fan that really loved our <laughs> Trinitarian thoughts. Here's the interesting thing, though. There's a couple places in Scripture. Matthew 28 is one that comes to mind. Uh, you know, and, and I've said before, there's some people who see this kind of we would technically we call it modalism that that the, there's the Father and then there's this period of time where the God God is expressed as Jesus and then uh, there's a period of time after Jesus that. God expresses himself in the Holy Spirit. And I, I don't think that's an accurate portrayal of Scripture because we, we find these images, not a ton of them, but there are enough. And, and I'll actually show you an interesting one later that we don't always notice. But uh, Matthew 28, I, you know, we're commanded by Jesus to baptize in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we also see uh, uh, Jesus' baptism, I think, is very interesting because uh, it says that the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. There's a voice from heaven, presumably God the Father, saying, this is my son in whom I, you know, whom I love and in him I'm well pleased. So we have all three persons of, of the Trinity involved in this. I, I hadn't planned on doing this, but look at Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. This is my favorite passage in the entire Bible, by the way. Uh, for those who are keeping track at home. <laughs> Fill out your bingo cards. Um, Titus chapter 3, verses, three verses 4, through, four five. through 7. I hadn't planned. Uh, I'm kind of throwing you a left curve here. Uh, okay. Is that, wait, is that a saying? I'm throwing Just, you a curveball. We're so. sports people here. <laughs> yeah, everybody is. Uh, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared... He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. The thing I think is so fascinating about that passage, so, so it says, what about God? How is God identified at the very beginning of that passage in verse 4, uh, when the kindness and love of God, our, God savior. our Savior. So he's called Savior. And then it says mm-hmm. that he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. So the, the Holy Spirit saves by his mm-hmm. action. Maybe we'll mm-hmm. talk about what that washing of rebirth and renewal is later. But then, <laughs> but then yep. it's, it, it says, and then Jesus Christ, our Savior. So it's very interesting that all three persons of the Trinity are, are mentioned here. And the thing that I love about this passage is that it, all three persons are focused upon our salvation. You know, it, it, mm. it's it's their work on behalf of their people in order to, to uh, you know, save them, to, to, to protect and to save them. And so uh, all three persons of the Trinity focused upon that, that singular purpose. And I just, I find that really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, com- that, that kind of comes back to some, yeah. I mean, and that's comes back to some of the conversations we had about the old and new Testament, like yeah. it all works together. Like it's sure. your, everything is yeah. pushing God. The father is pushing to God, the son and the Holy right. spirit uh, right. uh, as we go through. So, but we see all three there in all those, all three of those places I mentioned, Matthew 28, Titus chapter three, and also in, in the baptismal stories, uh, in baptismal narratives in the gospels, we find all three persons uh, of the Trinity uh, together. They're not, not you know working in concert you see what i'm saying not 
yeah individually so to speak so they're all rowing in the same direction <laughs> right now so the holy spirit so, go ahead okay go ahead no, what are you gonna say? I, so, no, no i asked well, if there's any say, questions uh, well it's this is not a question i was i mean it's kind of a question so you know we we've identified what we should think about the Holy Spirit, that it, that it is personal, that he's part of the the, the Trinity. But uh, like how, what would you say the Holy Spirit's work is? Like what does the Holy right. Spirit do? Well, that, that's very interesting. And that's where we get into some of these, you know, different people are going to emphasize, you know, sometimes vastly different things. One of the things that I find most fascinating when we start talking about the Holy Spirit's relationship with us. So that the Holy Spirit is personal means that we can have a personal relationship. And, in fact, I often will say, you know, because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, what we've just celebrated, you know, on, on Easter weekend, the uh, work of Jesus as substitutionary atonement for our sins, his, his work on the cross makes us able to have a relationship with God again. Whereas previously we were separated because of our sin, uh, we have now been brought near, to use uh, Paul's term, uh, we've been brought near because of uh, the work of Jesus. Um and I often will say the Holy Spirit then is the most intimate connection that we have with God. Uh, he, he, and here's the way Paul puts it. This is in Romans chapter eight, verses nine through 11. The spirit of God lives within us. We, we call, call this the indwelling of the spirit. And, and that's, you know, I say you can't get much more intimate than that. You know, the spirit of God living within you. Uh, and what an incredible thought. And again, this is a mysterious thing as well, right? When we become believers, uh, the spirit of God begins to work and live within us. Uh, here's what Paul says. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. And there's often, we're going to see another place a little bit later that Paul contrasts the flesh and the spirit. Uh, you're not mm -hmm. in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, notice that the you know spirit of god the spirit of christ if anyone does not have the spirit of christ they do not belong to christ so this isn't kind of an optional kind of deal you know uh, i'm right. kind of weirded out by the indwelling of the spirit so no thank you god you know and he you know paul says <laughs> no if you do not have the spirit of christ you do not belong to christ but if christ is in you then even though your body is subject to death because of sin the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And we'll come back to this idea when you talk about the work of the Spirit. Uh, mm -hmm. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, so again, thinking of Easter, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. So that's pretty important, right? This whole hope we have of resurrection uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus we see is... Well, some we we could say it's a seal in, in a sense, a, a promise, a guarantee. But but the Spirit of God living in us is the is the confidence we have of this hope that we have in in, in Jesus and what He has done uh, on our behalf. So, so you said, what does the Spirit do? I, I would mm -hmm. say, in, in my opinion, and again, I know there's there's differences of opinion. There's there's two primary work, two two. A lot, the spirit does a lot of things, I guess would be the short answer. But <laughs> there are two things that I would say, one in, in, the, in the church as a whole and one in the individual believer, that the spirit of God works. And, and both of these work in, in concert, I would say. But these, in my opinion, are the most important work for us as a body. Uh, in other words, the body of Christ, the church, 
and then for us as as individuals, as as individual people of God. And you know, I often like to think about the body part of it uh, more. And both of these do work together as well, I would say. But in terms of what what the Spirit does for the body is I would say that, that the spirit of God, he, he unifies us. Uh, here was a passage I was mentioning earlier. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter four. Okay. I, I love this passage for a couple of different reasons. Uh, it's one of these that's, that's kind of flies under the radar sometimes, but, uh, but I think is an important one for us to think about. And, and these first six verses, let, let me read it. Cause I'll, I'm going to stop a couple places probably and bring up a couple things. So uh, okay. Paul, Paul is writing, this is one of the, what we call the prison epistles. I think Ephesians, uh, we're actually going to spend some time in Ephesians, I think in the near future, that's actually news to Ryan. Ryan had no idea about that till I just now told him, but this is a typical episode. <laughs> Brian says things. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> Anyway, another good day. Ryan to be doesn't stirred. know this. It's just a regular episode. It's a, it's a Thursday. Paul says this as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, and here's the idea of the, the unifying of the body. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So so I would say the main thing, the primary thing that the Spirit of God does, or, or at least one of, within the body of Christ is he unifies us. He, he draws us together and makes us one. And I'll talk a little bit more about how I think that's possible. Uh, Paul goes on and says this about unity in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's a Trinitarian passage as well. Do you notice it? One spirit, mm-hmm. one Lord, and one God the Father. And, and so in all those things, Paul says we are unified. He's kind of emphasizing this one baptism, one faith, one body. Um, now, the spirit, I think, unifies us in this way is if, and, and I didn't emphasize this enough probably when I talked about the indwelling, um, Ryan, when the spirit of God indwells you, when the spirit of God is living within you, it is not a part of the spirit of God. You don't get a piece of the spirit of God. It is the spirit of God fully living in you. And it's the same for a believer. You know, if the Spirit of God lives within me, it is it is fully the Spirit of God living within us. And if there's another believer down the road that the Spirit of God is living within, it is fully the Spirit of God. And so you can begin to see how that unifies us. So if the same Spirit lives within you that lives within me, that draws us together. Uh, mm-hmm. even even when we disagree, right? Even when mm-hmm. we might look at things differently, if we have the spirit of God within us, then then that spirit draws us together. If there's a believer that lives halfway around the world and the spirit of God lives within that believer, within him or her, that draws us together. You, you see what I'm saying? That, that, right. that the spirit unifies us in this sense that Paul would say that if we are Christian, if we if we don't have the Spirit of God living within us, he says, then we're outside of Christ. Uh, that if the Spirit of God lives within us, then that He draws us all together because He is He is living within every believer and, and working within us. Now that to me is exciting. I don't, I don't know about you, but that that kind of blows my mind a little bit. It also, as I've said before. Uh, you know, we get discouraged 
But I believe right now, and some people may contradict me on this, but but from what I have seen, I believe that right now there are more believers, both in terms of number and also in terms of percentage on the face of the earth than there ever have been in history. And so this is what I understand to be this uh, continuing work of God that continues to grow and the way that the kingdom of God continues to grow. And even though sometimes we get discouraged and in particular situations or particular localities, it might seem that the kingdom of God is being defeated. Uh, we laugh at that because Jesus says nothing will, will you know, prevail against uh, my church. And, and this image, even, and I hadn't meant to talk about this, but in Ezekiel, we get this image of this river. We've talked about it before that, that continues to grow the farther it goes. And, uh, you know, when Jesus makes this reference, uh, we see in the New Testament that in the Gospel of John, that John, as the narrator, steps in and says he's talking about the Spirit of God. You know, that this idea that the Spirit is growing and, and, and farther. And it's not that the spirit is getting bigger, but there are more and more people who are being animated by, we will say, the spirit of God and being influenced by the spirit of God. So so the first thing that the spirit of God does is unifies. Uh, uh, he unifies us. Uh, and I think that even, so here's one of the controversial sections. And I'm, we may have another time we talk about this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on spiritual gifts but I think the main point of spiritual gifts even is that they unify us. Um, and, and That's well, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Look at 1 Corinthians. So the longest teaching in the New Testament on spiritual gifts is 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, and even chapter 13. It's not really about your marriage, believe it or not. It's about spiritual gifts. If you look at it carefully, uh, that's we call it the love chapter, right? Uh, uh -huh. But it, it's really about gifts, if you look at it, if I, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels and I don't have love, then I'm like a clanging gong. So he's saying that here's the heart of the gifts is it has to be love. We see this hmm. even before this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, though, starting in verse uh, 4. I don't have it here. Why don't you go ahead and, and yeah. start reading this? Yeah, start reading in verse 4. 11? 11-ish, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ish, okay. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Okay, stop now, there. You see, see that Trinitarian thing yeah, again. Yeah, I was going to say, now, that Spirit, Lord, God. Right. Isn't that interesting, though? It's the idea of diversity and, and, and unity, right? So there's many gifts, but there's one Spirit. There's many kinds of service, but there's one Lord. Now, now here's the cool thing, then, is as I think I said this when we talked about the Trinity. I hope I did. I meant to. Um, that that the Trinity then is an image, or, or I guess better to say that we created in the, in the image of, of God and, and, and existing in community are, are a picture of the way that the, the, the persons within the Trinity work together in concert, right? Mm. Each, of, each of them, each of the persons with different roles and different, um, you know, uh, pur purpose, I suppose you'd say different actions and, and the same way as the church, then we model that in, in that we work together as persons, uh, in, in order to, uh, in unity in concert, uh, be drawn together. Does that, does that make sense? Do you see, see the yeah. image there? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's really interesting to think about that that dynamic that is the, the church right. is the reflection right. of, of that. And like you said, dynamic, that, that to me is the biggest, that's why I believe I, I, 
for me, there's no other view than Trinitarian Christianity. And I'm, and I'm talking, so, wow, I'm just going to say lots of really controversial things now. <laughs> say it. Lay it on. This is the bistro we discuss. <laughs> so here's the thing. For me, it, it the Trinity is absolutely at the heart of reality. Uh, and, and I cannot understand... Uh, any any Unitarian kind of God, and and I mean that whether whatever kind of religion may have just a, a singular uh, unity at it, at its heart, is it's the dynamism, it's the it's the action between the persons of the Trinity out of which creation, uh, the creativity of creation flows, uh, and even you know love flows because because of the love that the uh, the persons of the Trinity have for one another, and that overflows into the love that that we have for one another and the unity that we have together. So, so to me, the Trinity is not just it's not just a neat thought, but but Trinity the, the idea of the Trinity is absolutely foundational for reality. Uh, I would say, in in a, in, a, in a real sense, the Trinity is at the very heart of my whole understanding of theology. Uh. Or, yeah. or, or reality, for that matter. But anyway, Brian, you should be a preacher. Well, yeah, something like that, <laughs> or a teacher, or, or play one on TV, um, <laughs> on YouTube. I, I play a preacher on YouTube. Um, so, so go ahead. I, I interrupted you. <laughs> so go ahead. Keep, keep reading in First Corinthians chapter twelve. Then, okay, yeah. Uh, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So you see, see the point there is each of those is given by the same spirit, each of those gifts. Now we here's, this is the sad thing to me is we get so caught up in, I would say this, the, the more spectacular <laughs> uh, ideas of the gifts and, and the controversial natures of the gifts. We get so caught up in that. We miss the primary point is that the spirit of God gifts us so that we need one another. And, and this is one of the ways that we're unified. So even spiritual gifts, are, <laughs> and ironically, of course, you know, this is how the evil one works is he takes the thing that is meant to unify us and uses it to divide us. Um, but we are supposed to be brought together because we all need one another. No Christian is given enough to be sufficient upon their own, upon the, upon their own uh, life. Uh, we're all given gifts in a way that we need one another. Uh, I don't care what gift you talk about. So, so service, for example, can only be expressed in service toward another. And so that's what, I don't know if you, you noticed that one line right after I said for you to start reading again, that the spirit gives to each one as he determines for the common good. Yes. So, so gifts are never given for building up ourselves or for uh, glorifying ourselves. They're always given for the common good is what's going on with all that. So. Excellent. Very Does that good. Lead you any questions? Well, hey, or... I've got some more. Okay. Well, I do have a couple questions coming up, but let's take a quick break. Okay. And then we'll come right back. 
Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Brian. And we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you're enjoying this episode. You know, it's our goal to make this podcast useful to you. So if you find it valuable, we want you to consider supporting the Bible Bistro financially. You know, there's a cost associated with this podcast, and your support will help us to continue this mission. If you'd like to help, we have set up a Patreon account where you can contribute at any level. Maybe you just want to give us a few bucks a month and buy us a cup of coffee. Or if you support us at $15 or above, you can receive some of our personalized items, like the Bible Bistro coffee mug. Trust me, you're really going to want one of those. Absolutely. You just got to go to our website or in the show notes and click on the Patreon link. And thank you so much. We appreciate our loyal listeners. All right, Brian. Well, we're back here, yeah. and I do have a couple questions okay. for you that we're going to kind of continue here. So we've talked about who this, uh, the Holy Spirit is, right? that he is part of the Trinity, um, what he does. You know, we've talked about the indwelling, right. we've talked about the work of the body. So we'll talk a little bit about yeah. the individual piece of this So the, as the well. primary work, I think, in the individual is that the Holy Spirit, here's the word I'm going to use, the sanctifies. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Uh, okay. if, if you look at the very beginning of the letter of 1 Peter, this word sanctified is used. It's one of those words, you know, one of those church words that we always don't think about the meaning of. But uh, here's how Peter begins his letter. To God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkle with his blood. Another Trinitarian thing, by the way. But but do you see that you, you know once you once you start seeing it you can't see, see it, it you can't unsee it right but the uh-huh. the spirit sanctifies the sanctifying work of the spirit is what he says has has worked to make us obedient to Jesus Christ and sanctification is just a fancy word for the way that we are made holy um I had a professor once upon a time suggest that uh, it could be called holification right because uh, we we in english have we've gotten these two different uh, from two different language groups, you know that's that's the thing about English is, uh, you know they say some uh, some languages borrow from other languages. English uh, chases other language groups down dark alleys, beats them over the head, and goes through their pockets. Right, so so we <laughs> so we've taken uh, we've taken you know all of these different we've stolen all these different words from different language groups. So we've got the Anglo-Saxon, and then we've also got the the Latin that we've we've stolen a lot from, and so. The root for sanct is the same word for holy. So the, our word sanctuary means a holy place, for example. Uh, so hmm. so the word holy, holiness, in, in Greek, there's one root for both of these ideas. And so sanctification is the idea of the process by which we are being made holy. And, and I would add by the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is the primary agent. He is the primary one who is working to make us holy. Uh, and, and of course, we could talk about this another time. We talked about it a little bit when we talked about sin, but holiness isn't, <laughs> try to think who I can offend now. Holiness <laughs> isn't, <laughs> yes. it's not making sure we can, you know, we're wearing long enough denim skirts and, you know, whatever. But, but uh-huh. this kind of image we have sometimes of holiness, making sure I'm wearing a very skinny black tie, that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Holiness is really about us um, living the kind of lives that God intended for us to live. Uh, it's not about, you know, too many times, as I said, when I talked about sin, 
we make holiness about abstinence, about what we are staying away from, when holiness is about doing the, the right thing, doing the proper thing. Holiness is about uh, engaging in the world, in our community, uh, in, in an appropriate way, in a, in a God-pleasing way, in a, in a way that's in keeping with uh, with God's character, his nature, and with the way that he has revealed himself ultimately in his son, Jesus. So when we say we want to be conformed, Paul says, you know, we are all, uh, those whom God foreknew, he, he, um, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, right? So he wants all of us to be transformed, to be more like Jesus, to be more Christ. You know, we use the term Christ-like. And, and my point is that the Spirit of God, it's His work, as we see there in First Peter, he is, he is sanctifying us. He is making us holy. I could use lots of different passages to show you this, but uh, there's one in Paul. Uh, we know, in fact, <laughs> you, you, very famous passage, right? The fruit of the Spirit, Right. Why, right. why do we call it the fruit of the spirit? It, it, it's this is the this is the fruit of the spirit's work in our life as he is transforming us to be the people that he you know holy people people he intended mm-hmm. us to be from creation uh, before the fall before the brokenness all those things we talked about when we talked about you know what it means uh, to to live in a broken world. But Galatians chapter five is where I'm going with this. And this is quite a long passage, so I apologize ahead of time for that. But uh, verse 16, it says this. It says, um, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk is the, is a metaphor here for, for living our lives, right? We talk mm-hmm. about your walk of life. And so this is the idea of live by the Spirit. So walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's that contrast, Spirit Spirit of God or, or, or living according to the flesh. Um, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. There you see, this, it, it just by implication, the Spirit desires, you know, another very personal characteristic. They are in conflict with each other so that you uh, are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So sanctification is learning to be led by the Spirit. Then he lists the acts of the flesh. And here's the contrast. We, you know, we talk about the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, but we don't recognize that there's a contrast, the acts of the flesh. This is an example of what we call a vice virtue list, which were around uh, by Stoic philosophers in, in, in the first century use these things. And so Paul's using this, but he's, he's filling it with Christian message. Acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality. This is a, a Greek word, the Greek word pornia, which is a very broad term for any kind of sexual immorality, anything out of, uh, the, the, uh, I would say the, 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 um, Jewish understanding of, of what appropriate sexual relationships were um, is what pornia is, sexual immorality, uh, anything outside the bounds of an appropriate sexual relationship. Uh, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. <laughs> witchcraft seems very strange to us. You know, we have, have, you know, image probably from Shakespeare and, you know, I don't know, maybe Sabrina the Teenage Witch or whatever. But, but That's uh, exactly where I was going, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's this idea of, of trying to use natural forces in order to manipulate 
you know, the, the, the deity, if you will, or the, the, the spirits, this kind of thing. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. Um, this is the idea of divisions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Uh, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the contrast, the fruit of the spirit. So see the acts of the flesh contrasted with the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, self-control, by the way, is the opposite of drunkenness. That's the contrast there. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and dire desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, so that's kind of the idea there is keeping in step with the Spirit. The Spirit uh, transforms us and changes us um, to be sanctified, to be to be holy people. Yeah, and 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 we're seeing this idea of that we need to. The spirit is working within us, but that we're also working sure. with the spirit at the same time. And yeah. it's not the spirit just doing something. No, although to I think, us. yeah, I think the way I would say the spirit empowers us, the spirit guides us, directs us. Yeah, but yeah, we are, we absolutely are responding to the work of the spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we have agency with the spirit. Yes, the spirit, it's, it's, a, it's a working together yeah. there. As I said before, I believe that, yeah, I believe we have the ability to choose. Yeah, I, I, I believe we have agency would be one way to say it. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right, man. We we're like fifty minutes into this, and we still got other stuff we're going to talk about. So yeah, maybe. So yeah, maybe. <laughs> we'll get there. So, um, so talk to me a little bit about. So I think we have a good idea, like the sanctifying, the sure. work of the spirit. You know, bringing out the fruits of the spirit, yeah. and uh, as was we're working with the spirit, and the spirit works in us. Yeah. So. And one of the things we talked about at the very beginning is, you know, we've been spent a lot of time in, in the New Testament. Is there right. anything from the Old Testament? You know, yeah. I know we talked about in Genesis, the spirit hovering sure. over the water, but is there anywhere else that we see the yeah. spirit having a hand? Yeah, we actually see the spirit quite a bit in the Old Testament, but, you know, there are people who will say that there's there's kind of a a different way that we see the spirit working. For, I'll give you just one example. We see the spirit, uh, for example, David talks about him in the Psalms, right? But even in the narrative, if you think about the beginning of the book of First Samuel, um, the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul when he's made king, but then later at a very specific point, it talks about that the Holy Spirit is taken from Saul and, and placed upon David, right? And mm -hmm. so uh, I just think about one of the Psalms when, when David is kind of confessing of sin, and not kind of, he is confessing sin, <laughs> and, and he, says, he says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Right, and, and and there's that sense that the spirit can be taken away, so that the spirit comes in a very particular way for a very particular purpose. Now, here's how I, I usually say three things about the way that the spirit, Holy Spirit, worked in the Old Testament, is that it tended to be functional. We see it all the way back in the book of uh, Exodus, for example. Uh, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon. Uh, Oh, Eliab, uh, the people who are going to build the, the sanctuary. I can't remember the other guy's name off the top of my head, but two, two guys were, were given the spirit with a very specific purpose, kind of like we talked about spiritual gifts, but mm -hmm. this was a very specific purpose of building the sanctuary or building the tabernacle. So that mm -hmm. they, were, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that particular thing. Or uh, you might remember that there was a, a time where it, it talks about that the spirit came upon... Um, 
certain leaders and they prophesied. Uh, so it seems to be a very functional uh, place that the spirit comes and, and brings prophecy sometimes. Uh, you know, we would, might say the gift of prophecy or however you want to think about it, but we see the spirit involved in these kind of actions. So it, it's a way that God uh, works in order to um, work through people. The spirit comes upon them, but it seems to be kind of a temporary thing. Uh, it's not an idea that the, like the, it's different than the indwelling. I would say it's different than the indwelling that we see in the new Testament, where it seems to be kind of a, a permanent, uh, the Holy Spirit's taking up place in your, in your life in order to transform you. It's more, the spirit comes upon a person in order to, uh, to, to accomplish a particular purpose. Look at Ezekiel 36. So, cause this, this is not only talking about that kind of thing, but it also, I think looks forward, uh, to what, um, the spirit is going to do in the new Testament, how the spirit is going to behave and, you know, post it's not, it's not because of the writings of the new Testament. You understand it's because it's, it's after the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus again, which makes it possible for us, I would say to have this intimacy with God that was lacking, uh, before, uh, but look at Ezekiel 36, 24 through 29, if you will, just, just read yeah. that. Uh, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. So there's obviously talking about exile. You know, the, the, Ezekiel's talking about the fact that the people are in exile, and when he's writing, they're in exile, and he's going to bring them back. But he's talking about this time that I'm going to sprinkle you with pure water, I'm going to make you clean, and I'm going to put a new heart and a new spirit within you. And then he says very specifically, I'm going to put my spirit within you, right? And, uh-huh. and what is the purpose for which he says he's going to do that? Uh, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful okay. to keep my laws. Which is what I would say is that sanctification idea. So that the spirit of God working within us. Now, when you said it's us and, and us having agency, that's where I want to be a little bit careful because, you know, the, the, the record of the Old Testament is really that we can't do this on our own, right? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we're, we're incapable of it, uh, mm-hmm. just to be frank. Um by our own strength, by our own power. It's only the spirit of God living within us. I think that it, that allows us uh, to live in a way that's pleasing to God. Uh, in fact, Paul says that again in first or in Romans eight, uh, uh, you know, the, the mind without the spirit cannot please God, right? The mind of the flesh cannot please God. So, so the spirit working within us is what does that. And that's what I think Ezekiel is pointing toward there. So, there are only in the Old Testament. The other difference is there's only certain people in the community that the Spirit acted upon. It seems like again, uh, the two guys who were working on the on the uh, tabernacle, right? Not the entire community, just the leaders who prophesied, uh, just the king, right? It, it wasn't that the Spirit uh, was upon all people. It was only upon the people that were. Um, that, that God was using in order to accomplish the functions that He was doing—prophets, kings, those those kind of those kind of people—and and so I would say that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was, f- first of all, functional, uh, in other words, to, to a certain task. Uh, that it was selective; it was only certain individuals, and and impermanent. Again, we see the Spirit can be taken away from, like it, as it was from Saul, and David worries about it happening, right? Um, 
in the New Testament, on the other hand, I think that the 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 idea is it's indwelling. So that, so the Spirit, the idea is that the Spirit is living within us in order to, to, to transform. It's not just for a particular function, but it's that we're being constantly led by the Spirit. And here's the other difference. Read, read Joel. This is another Old Testament passage. You mentioned Pentecost. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 is a text that Peter uses on the day of Pentecost in order to explain what's happening. He said, this is what was prophesied yeah. in this passage. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So the, 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 the one thing I don't like about that passage, it says all people, and it literally says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, is what he says. But, but the, the emphasis of this passage and don't get don't get caught in the details, but it, you know he says young and old, right? Mm-hmm. Men and women, servants. You know, so it doesn't matter your social standing. It doesn't matter if you're a male or female. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. This is a way to say upon all people, right? The spirit is being poured out upon all people. So it's not just a limited group that that God is using for a particular purpose, but the spirit is being poured out upon all, the whole community. And that's what I think is going on then in the New Testament. So that's what the day of Pentecost is kind of about. Um, you know, there's the spirits all over. All, you know, some people say the, the, the Holy Spirit is the main character in the book, book of Acts. But especially at Pentecost, you, you've got the spirit. There's the sound of the rushing mighty wind. There's the, the, the tongues of fire that, that rest over mm-hmm. each of the apostles' heads. They're speaking in different languages, it says there. And then in explaining this, Peter says this is, this is what was prophesied in, in the Old Testament, that there's going to be this change. So to answer your question uh, in a long way, uh, the, the difference, I think, the difference is that the Spirit of God now is poured out upon the entire community. It is for all believers, not just for certain people who are being used for a particular purpose or function. But the Spirit of God now indwells all believers. And again, we're unified by that. We're empowered by that in order to do the things that, that we're called to do. All right. So here's a real question that kind of opens a can of worms, I guess. <laughs> oh, great. You'll love this. You know how you surprise me with trivia? I'll, I'll ask you a controversial question. Not a controversial question. So, you know, when does, when does someone receive the Holy Spirit? You know, if someone well, makes this decision to come to Christ, is the Holy Spirit working in the Like, when does everybody get the Holy Spirit that's leading them to conviction? Like, when when's the Holy Spirit, in? when does this indwelling happen? So, come on, you got to answer this now. Don't you know? So, you said, when do we receive the Holy Spirit? I, you know, I, I often will say, you, you don't care what I think, but let me show you what the Bible says. Uh, you, you know, <laughs> On, on the day of Pentecost, look at Acts chapter 2, and this okay. is a passage, again, for the churches that you and I grew up in, a very important passage. Uh, look mm-hmm. at Acts 2, 38 and 39. Read that for us there, Ryan, if you would. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off from all for all whom the Lord our God will call. So when you use the term receiving the Holy Spirit, that's what that seems to say. Now I'm going to I'm going to give you another example here in just a minute and tell you why I think something else is going on in that passage, but but here 
what's happened is that they have been convicted of their uh, convicted may be the wrong word. They they have been cut to the cut to the heart is what it says that they they're they're convinced of their going against God's will because they they were implicit complicit I should say in in the killing of Jesus, and so. Um, so they say, what shall we do? And Jesus or Peter's response here is, uh, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the reason I think that the spirit before, how do I say this, was not able to indwell in the same way that the spirit does in the New Testament um, is because the work of Christ had not been accomplished yet. It's the forgiveness of sins that can be um, found in Jesus that allows the Spirit of God, if you, I should say, allows. But you, 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 do you get what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Uh, yeah. Whereas our sin has separated us from God. That, that's what the whole, you know, the the story of the Garden of Eden is about, and, and we've talked about that before. We're separated from God because of our rebellion. We we cut ourselves off from the source of life because of our own sin, our own rebellion, and. And so it's not until that sin is is ultimately dealt with, and not just pushed back, but it is ultimately dealt with in Christ, that now the Spirit of God indwells us in the way that that He does. That intimacy now we can have with God again. I think the the Spirit of God indwelling us is the is the the real manifestation of that intimacy with God, that relationship with God. We talk about being repaired. You know, we that's that's the terms we'll use. Um, but I think the real manifestation of that is the spirit of God indwelling us. So the connection I think there is uh, baptism is that point at which, as, as I understand and read scripture, it's when we um, participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6. It's a passage we need to look at sometime. Uh, we participate in that in that death and it becomes effective in our life, and therefore forgiveness of sins, as Peter says in, in Acts 2.38, is affected. And this then results in the Spirit of God um, indwelling us, living within us. So what, what Peter says there and what you said, receiving the Holy Spirit, I think would take place at that point. Now, there's a, 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 you know, an astute listener has already said, well, there's Acts 10. And certainly there is. If you look at Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48, there seems to be something that upsets this, I don't even want to call it order, but upsets this um, pattern or whatever you want to call okay. it. Uh, go ahead go ahead and read verses yeah. 44 through 48. Yeah. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Okay. Stop there for, for just a minute. Uh, and I do want you to read the rest of this, but I want you to stop there for just a minute. So the setting, just to, just to set the scene, this is Cornelius's household. This is the first time the gospel has been preached to the Gentiles, really. And and so Cornelius's household is there. <laughs> Peter has been prepared for this. And the way that he was prepared is basically a sheet came down from heaven with unclean unclean animals. And this vision he had and, and, and a voice of God comes from heaven and says, take and eat. <laughs> And Peter, yes. of course, being compliant, a Peter said, "No, 
<laughs> nothing unclean has ever passed my lips. And that happened three times. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's nothing like saying no to God once, but to say no to God three times, you know, that was preparing Peter for this. So yeah. then at that moment, it says that men from Cornelius's household came and, and brought Peter to, to, to um, preach to Cornelius's household. And so Peter's preaching and while he is preaching, in other words, he didn't get to the invitation. And, and here's my point. I don't know that he ever would have. They weren't singing, I've decided to follow Jesus yet. And I don't, I don't think Peter was going to offer that because I think Peter is still thinking in, in Old Testament ways. That it was just for the Jews, not for the and, Gentiles. And, and that's the whole thing about, I mean, that's what he's saying about the unclean animals. I No, I'm not going to eat any unclean animals. You know, we're still living according to this, this, you know, this Old Testament pattern, this Old Testament law, however you want to call that. But here it says, and, and so what's the reaction there? I want you to reread that what it says again. It says, it says while he was speaking, the Spirit of God, uh, what, what does it say? The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. So do you hear that? The circumcised even, believers, which are the Jewish, Jewish believers, are going, what? You know, what, what's going on here? And then, and then what happens after this? Go ahead and read the rest of it. Uh, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And so Peter's then, response is... Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. Right. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. But basically, Peter, and, and, and I like to say it better this way. Basically, Peter says, what can keep them from being baptized now? <laughs> They've like, already got it. So, so people will say, well, look, here's the Spirit coming before baptism in this, in this particular instance. And, and I think that here's what I will say about this. And again, I, I'm not, I'm not going to you know, jump up and down or anything. But here's what I will say is I think this is as much a teaching moment for Peter and the other um, circumcised believers, as they're called there in that passage, as it is about a pattern for the way things are normally to be. I think the upsetting the pattern here actually teaches us something. And, and, and basically that's the, the whole thing. If you read on to the next chapter, it's always interesting then beginning of chapter 11, because, you know, I say, oh, and the, so they went back and reported these things and everybody threw a big party. No, it, they criticized Peter for going into the house of, of, um, Gentiles. And uncircumcised men right. and ate with them. And yeah. so, so it, this is really about the, <laughs> the, 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 um, failure of some in the early church to grasp the universal nature of God's work, uh, of what God was doing in in uh, in Jesus, that it was more than than just about uh, the kingdom of Israel, uh, which is one of the themes I see in in the, in the first part of the book of Acts, at least. Uh, you know, all, all the way back in chapter one, as I've mentioned before, where where. Um, you know, Jesus teaches them about the kingdom of God for 40 days. And they say, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) I think Jesus goes, I'm going to heaven guys. You take care of it on your own. Peace out. Literally peace out. (laughs) Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of paraphrasing. Uh, We're we're paraphrasing a little bit. (laughs) This, this is the new version of the, uh, (laughs) the message. So anyway, I would understand nor normally that, the spirit of God begins to live within us connected to the forgiveness of sins, which I understand to be connected to the act of baptism because the act of baptism is a participation in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. So that's the, 
that's the short answer just to just to hedge my bets so (laughs) very good all right well we're approaching an hour and 10 minutes i have one final question okay this is good but i mean this is a (laughs) i mean we're we're going after this maybe we should make this a two-parter so well, we well, there's still other things we can talk yeah. about here, but my final the, question we here. We could cut out all the banner at the beginning, I guess. So. No, that stays. <laughs> that's what endears us. Oh, is that it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Anyway, so let me ask you this final question. So this is, this is something for me. Okay. So, I mean, we don't see a pattern of this, but should we pray to the Holy Spirit? Like, you know, we, we see the Father, yeah. Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're part of the Trinity. He's part of God. Like, should we pray for the Holy Spirit? Like, Holy Spirit work in us? Or, you know, is this... It, or should we not? How should we approach this? I know this. There's not a lot in scripture about sure. this. I'm just going to get your thoughts I, about I, this. I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to come down to a hard and fast rule. I know there's some people that for whom this is a this is a huge deal. Um, here's what I will say. I, I, I will say with certainty that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Um, you know, I, I don't know about asking. You know, this this whole idea of asking the Holy Spirit to to come. You know, come upon us. Well, come. To work, to work in us, you know, there's worship songs. I mean, there's plenty sure. of worship songs like sure. Holy Spirit do this or. Yeah, um, I don't know that I want to command the Holy Spirit of God, but I think, well, I think the thing I will say is, is yes, I, I want the Holy Spirit to, I would say to empower us. Uh, but a lot of that is us being um, willing to sub- submit ourselves, right? To open, open our wheels, to humble ourselves, uh, to put aside our own will our own purpose uh for god's purpose that may be the primary thing i would say um you know the the holy spirit certainly as i mentioned or intercedes for us the holy spirit is involved in in this prayer and i will say you know recognizing the role that the holy spirit has of being the most intimate connection we have with god i think is is a, is a significant uh purpose you know but you know, I know some people will talk about this idea that the Holy Spirit's role is to testify to Jesus. That's what Jesus says about, you know, the paraclete is coming. He will testify to me. Uh, you know, in, in other words, let's not focus so much upon the Spirit. And, and I don't I don't know that that's the right response either. Um, but I do think, again, in the same way, would you know, would we say to Jesus, oh, you do this, Jesus, or, or whatever. I think it's more about... Uh, you know, help me understand how I'm to open myself up for you. Uh, I don't know which exact wor- worship songs that you have in mind, but I do think there are some that may, like I said, the Holy Spirit fall or Holy Spirit come upon us. If we have the Spirit of God already within us, I, I think, and I don't think this is just the worship songs, but I think that there are some who are looking for something to happen that I don't, I don't know is the primary especially in the New Testament, is the primary um, example of what we have. Uh, but, you know, uh, again, I'm <laughs> willing to be corrected on that, but I don't, I don't see that as, as uh, you know, the primary role that the Spirit has. And that's, again, why I focus on unity, you know, bringing us together and, uh, you know, empowering us to be the people that God had created us to be, that we were supposed to be from beginning and we've rebelled. So it has as much to do with us, as I said, submitting our wills to, to his rather than, um, you know, <laughs> trying. Well, I'm <laughs> just saying like, you know, imagine it, this. It, it, I'm just, I'm just, it's, I'm kind of cracking myself up now because now I'm imagining, well, our, our will is the problem in the first place. And now we're trying to, to twist 
the Holy Spirit's arm well, into our I, will. I, well, you know? I'm, I'm saying like, what if you said like Holy Spirit work, you know, like renew me, me, work in me? I, I mean, I, I think I, I mean I think that's okay, but I think He is already right. So we don't. <laughs> If you've been baptized again, I think I think it's an acknowledge. I think it's an acknowledgement about uh, it's an acknowledgement of it's more about teaching us or reminding us of what the Holy Spirit is doing in in us. And I did mention this too that that there's a way in which the Spirit I think works within our midst. I do. I don't think it's only indwelling. Uh, so Paul, when he talks about you, you all y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, and he lives within, within your midst, right? Um, so there's a way in which the temple of God can be understood also as, as our being gathered together and working together uh, for God's purpose, I suppose. I don't know. I don't want to be too dogmatic on it, I guess. But. No, well, it's good. I just wanted to get your opinion, okay. you know? Yeah, excellent. I don't but know Brian, if that's thank you so Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you for sharing with us. And yeah. I think this is a great topic. And uh, yeah. it might be one we, we revisit again. I, I do think soon. there's a couple more things to say about, about the Spirit's work, obviously. So, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Brian. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you enjoyed the episode and maybe it helped you think through some things. If you have questions you'd like us to tackle on the podcast, feel free to reach out via Facebook or by going to the website, thebiblebistro.com and clicking on the button at the top of the page to send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us at the table in the bistro. We will be back to 